You're listening to the Workforce Wise podcast from Equifax, where we help you better manage your workforce by saving time, reducing risk, and focusing on increasing profits. Hello, and welcome to the Workforce Wise podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fry. Today, we're going to be talking about a really interesting subject that's in the front of a lot of employers' minds. It seems like every day there's another discussion, email, or conversation about COVID vaccinations in the workplace. With so many employers beginning to mandate those vaccines for their in-person staff, it's important to understand not only how those mandates will work for your employees, but also how they may impact many of your different standard HR functions. Equifax Workforce Solutions is going to be doing several deep dives with our product experts to discuss how vaccine mandates may impact your HR operations. Today, we'll be discussing how vaccine mandates may impact unemployment claims. Dave Caldwell is with us today. He'll be walking us through key points for employers to better understand possible ramifications of vaccine mandates for your unemployment claims program. Dave's our product manager for UC Service. He's responsible for the strategic development of our UC offerings. Welcome, Dave. Hey, thanks a lot, Jason. Glad to be here. So, Dave, let's start with what you're hearing from our clients. How many are playing on mat on mandating vaccines? What are you hearing? What are they saying? What's the general trends that you're seeing? Yeah, it's, this is a really interesting situation um, when it comes to these vaccines. Um, it's top of mind for a lot of employers, and I would say the main discussion is um, ranges from they've already had to implement some level of a, ma- a vaccine mandate, um, or they are heavily considering it um, at top levels of the organization. So um, everywhere from the CEO down uh, is, is thinking about this. Uh, it's very top of mind because... Um, the, the initial guidance from the federal government, of course, is that this is uh, something that an employer with more than 100 employees should, uh, should implement. Um, I, I should say in, in certain venues, whether that's state, county, or even in certain municipalities, it's already been mandated in some cases for certain industries. So, for example, in the healthcare industry uh, or in folks working with senior care, uh, this has already come to fore. And what they've had to do is deal with it on a venue by venue basis. And so you can imagine there's a lot of interest at a a larger organizational level uh, to maybe deal with this more broadly, right? That might be a simpler approach to this. Um, And I think that's how a lot of companies are at least considering uh, this issue right now. Um, And it, it should say, I should say, I'm interested in primarily, of course, the unemployment cost management perspective um, of this issue, but it does cross into, um, you know, other areas. So, you know, for example, we're primarily interested in whether the company implements the policy to existing employees. Uh, it's also important that an, a company implement that at the outset for their talent acquisition process. Um, and that translates downstream, right? So it's a larger, it's a much larger issue, but at least for today, we'll be talking mainly about um, the unemployment impact of such a vaccine mandate. Yeah, and I would imagine there are a ton of different ways that a vaccine mandate, your employment, your general operating can kind of change based off of um, what what you decide to do with employees if they decide not to get vaccinated. So if the company does decide to 
mandate the vaccines and they let people go because they don't meet the mandate or meet the criteria to be acceptable under the mandate, do they have to pay unemployment for anybody that they let go because of kind of that situation? Yeah, and that's that's the magic question, and and I will tell you that's the that's the secondary question um, in everyone's mind, especially when it comes to unemployment. Is will I have to pay for this? Um, you know, we all know that throughout the COVID pandemic and all of the benefits uh, that were uh, amassed during that period, uh, depending on the state, employers either had to pay for uh, those charges or they didn't. Ultimately, they're all sort of having to pay for it through refilling the state accounts. Um, helping to uh, to replenish those funds. Um, so if there's one thing they're looking for in this issue, it's predictability. Um, when it comes to unemployment benefits, employers are very accustomed to, there, there's a lot of ways of looking at an unemployment issue. Of course, there's personal um, issues with a specific separation. There's more um, policy uh, precedent type issues when it comes to certain certain policies that are important to the organization. Uh, this is one that is sort of crossing into areas I like to, you know, sort of draw parallels with certifications in certain industries and things that are mandated um, for the employer, not by the employer, if that makes sense. Um, so what they're wanting to come out of this from an unemployment perspective or what employers are searching for is really predictability and consistency. And unfortunately, I think this is where we all sort of walk into this together um, that we, we have to understand that there will be a certain amount of variability in this by state. Uh, and I would argue, at least from the outset, there's enough newness to this that there could be variability between adjudicators uh, within a specific state, right? So um, I think the important thing to do is step back to it and say, unemployment is always governed by some key principles of the employee must be unemployed through no fault of their own. Um, they mustn't have acted in some way that's uh, in willful or intentional disregard for the employer's best interest. Uh, and if they leave, they have to have left for such a reason that it can be attributed to the employer. Um, and there's another another key factor is they must also then be avail able, available and actively seeking work, um, which, of course, if that if this vaccine mandate scales to their industry um, and they choose not to get that vaccine, uh, the more in employers that um, that implement such a, ma a vaccine mandate, the more likely they're taking themselves out of that market, right? So the key for unemployment is to understand they're always going to be adjudicating on the basis of current rule, policy, precedent, and, and, and statute or law, right? Um, for that state, each one will be adjudicated very individually. Um, but it's but it's also very important that we work with the employer to make sure all of the details um, are provided. You know, the two basic scenarios are, uh, and you sort of alluded to that, which is somebody doesn't meet the vaccine mandate by a certain date and they're therefore terminated. Um, that's one particular approach to this uh, from an employee perspective is to wait this out. Um, another particular, um, um, another viable angle is they leave ahead of the, the date, right? They find out about the vaccine mandate, determine this isn't the right uh, employer for them based on that newly implemented mandate. And so they voluntarily separate from the employer ahead of that. That's a separate type of, of, um, of employee separation. So we need to make sure working with employers that, and, and you as the employer need to make sure that you are reporting all of that information 
um, down to the, the very specifics around that employee. It's not just your policy, but the way that employee has reacted to your policy that has brought them to the point of separation so the state can make a, um, a complete difference. So there are differences in how they may be terminated. So I think the first one that I initially asked about was if the employer terminates the employee. But can you talk a little bit more about what happens specifically if the employee looks at the mandate and says, this isn't something I want to do, and they voluntarily leave the employer? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's important, again, to come back, you have to come back to the basics of unemployment, right? Which is, the employee then has to show that they voluntarily left with no choice, right? They, they were given no choice but to leave their employment. That's the condition in most states it has to be personally compelling or it has to be good cause attributable to the employer. And again, I'm speaking in very broad generalizations because every state's uh, law uh, and regulation and rule is slightly different and even precedent um, uh, in, their, in their state. It's all very different. So it's very important that uh, we approach those as a voluntary quit. We approach that as uh, from the perspective that the employee now has the benefit, uh, uh, the burden of proof uh, to show that they left for good reason. And what we have to then do is make sure the state is aware this is a voluntary quit. The individual could have continued employment um, had they uh, complied with the, ma the mandate itself. Um, and by not doing so and choosing to leave, that was of their own volition, right? So it, it's a completely voluntary separation. And again, really important that we draw those um, those comparisons. And really important from an employer perspective, because again, this determines their chargeability for that that, that claim, right? Um, in, in normal times, a, a claim is chargeable if the employee was uh, discharged without misconduct, or they voluntarily left with compelling reasons, or um, uh, some some reason attributable to the employer. And from an employer's perspective, it must always be about chargeability, right? Um, the, uh, avoiding an unnecessary unemployment charge is avoiding charges to your account, which then, if you're a tax-paying employer, um, results in downstream effect to your tax rate. And that's what we're ultimately trying to influence here is to make sure that if these are viewed as non-chargeable to the employer, uh, under specific circumstances, we need to make sure we're giving the detail related to that to, to avoid those charges. To get even more out of today's episode, make sure you get your free tools like webinars, ebooks, videos, and more at equifax.com slash wise. Yeah, and I know that you've mentioned a couple different times differences between states and maybe even differences between adjudicators in individual states. So what are we hearing from the states that we're working with? Where are they sending information out? Um, what's your gut tell you about how states are going to rule on these types of separations? Yeah, I, I really think that in most cases, the states are, are looking at this at a higher level. Um, either, either as I mentioned, uh, legislatively um, or from a regulation or, or statute perspective, I, I think they are struggling with this as well as the employers. So if there's one consolation, it's that I don't know that this is um, going to be settled uh, for, for either party, uh, any party, the employee, the employer, or the state, um, anytime real soon. I think everyone's going to be looked at very individually. Um, I think early ind indications are that it is good, uh, it is uh, favorable to the employer if we provide that level of detail that shows that this wasn't something that an employer just 
uh, arbitrarily decided to implement. Um, this is coming as a result of, you know, in some cases, as I mentioned, specific industries, healthcare, nursing, um, senior care, and, and so forth. Uh, in other cases, it's uh, because of the government contracts that companies hold. Um, and so if government, uh, if the federal government has indicated that this vaccine must be mandated for anyone who works with uh, or in conjunction with a federal government contract, uh, which has been the early indication, that's going to make that's going to force the employer to think about this more more deeply. And what it is is basically a requirement on the employer. And again, I hearken back to certifications, for example, in healthcare. Um, if someone fails to maintain a certification um, and therefore has to be let go, or they voluntarily leave because they don't want to get a certification, um, that certification is not something arbitrarily required by the employer. It's required by their industry. It's a state statute or a federal level statute that they're complying with. And I think it's important, again, that we draw that out. If you are an employer who uh, meet, has to meet certain requirements because of your industry or your location, again, state, county, municipality, if there's a, if there's a government requirement for you, we need to make sure that the, uh, the state adjudicator working this case knows about that, that we make that clear. This wasn't arbitrary. Uh, it was a requirement, and here's why it was required. So you've talked a lot about what to show or maybe what type of documentation or making sure that you keep documentation. So what can organizations do to make sure that they are doing everything they can to have all of that ready to go in case they have to respond to an unemployment claim? So what should they be looking for? And what are some best practices that they can implement today to make sure that they're ready for whatever happens tomorrow? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And it's something that everyone should be doing with equal levels of diligence, right? Um, at this point, you, if you do implement a policy around vaccine mandates, you have to clearly articulate that policy to your employee population. So that's step number one, divide, develop your policy. Um, that policy is, of course, going to look and look and feel different by employer, but that policy needs to be very clearly communicated. Uh, to the employment population. And that means implementing it again into company policy um, more officially, get signature, make sure that your employees are aware of that policy, uh, have, have seen it and have signed off that they've seen it. Those kinds of things are very, again, if you go back to the grassroots of unemployment, um, that's very important from an employer perspective to show that a policy is consistently implemented and consistently enforced, right? Um, so make sure that's clear. If there are exceptions to that policy, I know there have been discussions of exceptions around um, health and religious um, uh, uh, preferences and uh, or requirements. And that too then needs to be clearly articulated um, at least as an exception process. Um, if there's a denial of that exception, that needs to be clearly documented um, for the potential unemployment case that might arise or any other venue. Um, I might add, um, you'll need to make sure that you have that clearly documented. So the, the real key is to make sure that, that you have that clear and consistent policy. You get acknowledgement from the employee. You have um, the, the proper identification of what exactly happened. Did they leave in advance of um, the, the deadline for that policy implementation? Um, or did they leave as a result of, meaning it's a, more of a termination um, and then all of that documentation needs to be submitted to the state uh, or if you're uh, working with us, uh, to us so that we can submit that to the state. 
So again, lots and lots of details. Um, every, every aspect of this, again, from the standard perspective of unemployment. Um, you know, we're either trying to show that the employee, employee voluntarily left um, on their own uh, without compelling reason that, that the vaccine was available to them, but they choose, chose to leave anyway, um, or that they were, you know, we had no, no, um, no option but to terminate them um, at the point that we communicated it must be done. And we need to make sure and communicate that very effectively and very clearly to the state so they can really um, uh, make a make a, an appropriate determination on this. So let's say we get all the way through and benefits are awarded to the former employee. I know in several situations we recommend appealing those cases for the employer. What are your thoughts around the appellate process for these types of cases? Is it something an employer should think about? Something they should be aware of? And what should they do to prepare if they're going to appeal one of these cases? Yeah, I, I think from an employer's perspective, um, it's it's due diligence right now to to pursue those cases. Um, it, I think it's we have to view it that way because it's unknown in a lar- in large to a large extent um, on a venue by venue uh, basis. I think if the employer has all of the appropriate documentation, they've shown that it's something that they were, of course, compelled to um, apply to their employment um, employee uh, population. I think we have to pursue that. And the reason I say that, or or the employer has to pursue that on their own, um, I think the reason for that, again, is because that's the way precedent is built. Um, Mm -hmm. And if the employer is willing to spend the time and the resources um, you know, which which are significant uh, in that, you know, when you when you create an appeal, it takes time to, to write that appeal, um, um, at least with with some some level of um, intelligence. Right. Um, you have to put some thought into that uh, that appeal. And then, of course, at the hearing, you know, that's a that's not a, a process that is without resource um, expenses. Um, but if you're willing to do that, it's worth doing it at this point because you are building a precedent. Uh, that shows number one that this is you. You have the detail around this. You have the documentation, but also that it's important to uh, the employer. And so, uh, the more we can challenge those, the more we'll build um, build up more information about how successful uh, we can be on a venue by venue basis. Um, again, some states are likely to be uh, less likely to disqualify on this than others. Um, in other states, there may be no disqualification, but there may, may be no charge to the employer. There's a lot of scenarios that we need to build. And I think by pursuing these cases, uh, especially in cases of high liability to the employer, long-term employment, you know, those sorts of things, it's worth, uh, it's worth exploring that at the appellate level. Yeah, and honestly, I think that there's going to be a lot of interesting things that we're going to see, especially over the next six months, 12 months, when it comes to how vaccine mandates and unemployment, the claims process interwork and kind of work together. But Dave, this is actually some really great information. I'm sure our listeners have really enjoyed you being a guest on the podcast today. And thank you for taking time to um, share a lot of your knowledge with us. Um, And for the listeners, we hope that you enjoyed today's discussion, and we hope you're walking away with some best practices that you can adopt as your organization. Also, be on the lookout for more vaccine mandate podcasts to learn how those vaccine mandates may impact your HR operations. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard today, 
be sure to subscribe to the Workforce Wise podcast. And don't forget to download your free tools at equifax.com wise. While you're there, check out our other episodes and sign up for our live tech demo to see our solutions in action. And to keep our lawyers happy, you should know the information provided on the Workforce Wise podcast is intended as general guidance and not intended to convey specific tax or legal advice. For tax or legal information pertaining to your company and its specific facts and needs, please consult your own tax advisor or legal counsel. The views expressed are those of the discussion leaders and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Equifax. Investor analysts should direct inquiries using the Contact Us box on the Investor Relations section at Equifax.com.